Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am your producer extraordinaire, Dan Vadabonker, alongside the long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry. Gregory Kamichuk is not with us today, Justin. No, he is not. Where is he? Gregory is... I don't know how much of this... Like, I'm not going... I don't... I don't like when Gregory says, oh, there's this thing that I'm working on, but I can't talk about it. Oh, so yeah. I'm going <laughs> to, so I'm not going to do talk that, about it. No, um, but Gregory's involved with a movie project. Yeah. It's really exciting. And it's, um, it's a small movie project. It's uh, like, they called a micro budget movie, which oh. means like, you know, they have a hundred thousand dollars to play with. Sounds okay. like a lot of money, but when you're in the movie business, that's really not much money at all. Yeah. Um, so they're filming in Ninette, which is a tiny little town uh, in um, southern Manitoba. And they have this amazing set. It's like a, an old school uh, like hospital or sanatorium, I think they called it, um, that's basically getting demoed. And so they have a very short window where they can shoot a, a horror movie in this place before it gets destroyed or updated or something along those lines. So anyways, uh, Gregory and J-Ball have been um, just racing the clock to get um, script done and and like they're, they're pretty involved with this movie project. So all their tasks done in time for everything to line up that they can shoot what they need to shoot before they lose this amazing location yeah. uh, for the movie. So... Gregory has been kind of running all over the place with that the last little while. So he he himself did not cancel this podcast. I think he assumed he was going to be here for it and forgot that he was also driving to Ninette today. <laughs> and you can't do both. Not yet, anyway. So, we have not mastered cloning, <laughs> no. although I'm sure Greg would love that. He would love to be cloned. He'd be the first person to volunteer, I think. Yeah. Right? And he would, could use it as well, obviously. Uh, but we're still here, yeah. And uh, it's great to see you. It's the first time I've seen you since the new year. Mm-hmm. And before the new year, you guys had recorded kind of a, an origin story for Gregory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you interviewed him. You talked to him about where he started, how he he began uh, his career as an artist, as a as a working artist. Let's just call it working artist. Yeah, that's working really artist. what it is, uh, and how he got it start. And so that's a great uh, episode. You can listen to that. It's been posted uh, since last week. And now we're going to talk to you about your origin story. And how did all like that kind of started started organically? I didn't plan on getting his origin story, but I think I started grilling him on his schedule and how he <laughs> like organized his life prior to being a full time artist, like how he balanced right. the work life balance yeah yeah and that but that kind of leads into like how you transition because i guess the goal is to transition into the main that to your side gig to become your main gig right yeah they say so um so that's really how that started so we started off uh in his um days in the hotel when he led the uh the revolution (laughs) whatever he did there and then (laughs) progressed from there so let's go back for you uh when did this first i imagine it first started with a love of drawing as a child right that's where it starts with, with a lot of artists yeah so i think um like going back origin story wise um in school uh, I, I didn't excel in sports or academics, right? I wasn't great at, um, I think I, I did okay in like sciences and I remember doing okay in some LA classes, but just in general, I wasn't the best student. And this was always frustrating because everybody else in my family was an amazing student. <laughs> so I, I feel like I was the only one who really struggled. And then um, sports as well, right? Like I, I grew up in a hockey town. I was never like a great hockey player and that always felt like a big 
um, like misstep on my end. Like I, I should be better at hockey and then baseball too. I hated baseball, <laughs> but you know, that's what you did. I played baseball yeah, and I yeah, hated yeah, it. For sure. Um, and so somewhere along the lines, I noticed uh, like when I was really early, it was Lego. And then later on with my drawing, like would actually get me some like accolades. Like people would give me compliments on like, you're good at drawing, you're good at building Lego. Like you're better at this than most people. And that was, I think was like the only arena where I was excelling over like the other people around me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where it clicked, right? You found this thing that you like doing and you're getting better at it than other people. So I think that's kind of where like the brain chemistry, you're getting rewards for doing this thing. So we mm-hmm. want to keep doing this thing. So when I try to break it down, that's kind of what I come back to is, you know, if I'd been great at sports or good at math or like I probably would have pursued that, but instead, well, no, I, I'm good at drawing and people seem to keep telling me I'm good at drawing. So I'm going to keep drawing. And that's where I think it kind of began. Right. And, and we've talked about your past Lego creations. Mm-hmm. You've recreated the ship from um, Event Horizon, yeah, right? Yeah. That was one of your big <laughs> creations. And so you would see these things, these movies and TV shows and comic books and the things you were reading, yeah. the media you were reading as a child, and, and recreate that stuff in your work. And so where did that lead into, um, I guess, the graphic design program? Is that kind of where that went? Yeah. So when I was in grade 11, um, the school does this kind of uh, mentorship day day. It was like two days mentorship where you're supposed to find somebody in the the field that you want to get into and go shadow them for a day or two. Um, and I, yeah, like I said, I was, I was not so great at a lot of things, but drawing was what I wanted to do. And nobody seemed to have an idea of like what you could do with that. Right. Like I, working artist wasn't something that we knew about back in the small pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my mom reached out to my uncle who had like a niece on the other side of the family that was in graph design. And this was, you know, as far as we knew the, it was drawing, but you're getting paid for it. It was Mm -hmm. like a professional version of, of creativity. And so she reached out through the grapevine and had never met this person before. Um, Like she was removed enough from my family that I never met her growing up in family reunions or anything like that. But she was in Winnipeg. She was in her third year of graph design. She was in her mentor program at uh, Guppy Design, which Mm. is a a great uh, studio in the city. And so we were able to arrange to to drive into the city and I was shadowed her in college at, at the graph design program. And so I got exposed to... I think the first thing they did was we go into the the um, graph design room, which is a really cool room. It's just this big open space, computers everywhere. Um, people had drawing tablets and stuff, which was really high tech at the time. Like the early versions of Wacom were like these big clunky things, but they had those. And um, they were doing a art critique with Ross Sunmark, who's a very interesting individual that I got the privilege of being in some of his art of history classes too. Um, so I got to see all these third year graphic design students present the, like a huge poster of the poster they had designed for, I think it was a play or something like that. And then watch as everybody went around and ripped it apart and said what was wrong with it and what they needed to change. (laughs) And that was the point of it. It was a critique class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they were, you know, they presented kind of what they had come up with and everybody was supposed to find what was wrong with it. And then they had to do it again. It was something like that. Um, so I remember being like, kind of like scared of what was happening. Like, you know, I, I'd never seen anything like that where 
usually when you did a piece of art, people just said nice things about it. Nobody ever critiqued it. Well, um, in your experience, right? Up in my that experience. point, that's all you would see. Her, so good. Oh, yeah. you're such a talented artist. Just. Yeah, 15-year-old me didn't know what was going on, but... Um, but yeah, I was surrounded by like all these people who were tied to their sketchbooks and drawn on the computer. And then after that, I followed the uh, um, cousin to Guppy Design. And their office, again, was this downtown, uh, huge old building, huge open space. Their coffee tables were upside down surfboards. <laughs> they had Akira <laughs> models on like their shelves nice. and like anime toys everywhere. And and they, can, can we ask what year is this? This is 2005. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. that's like no, no, pre, sorry, 2003. That's like pre-anime. Yeah, fan. yeah. I like that. Like I know it was around back then, but it was like not mainstream. No, not no. All like I, I never Akira was not on my radar. Never yep. heard of it. But it was. Um, when the Tutsuo's arm starts becoming a big, oh, massive blob. Yeah. Like, it was a huge model of that. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I need to know what that is. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. And they sat me down on one of their computers and let me play around with, like, an early version of Adobe Illustrator for the first time. And I was just like, okay, I found my people. And the next day, the, uh, the cousin, instead of taking me to graph design stuff, she took me around to a bunch of fine art galleries in the downtown. So I got to see a bunch of fine art galleries. And this was, this was a very famous local fine artist did like a whole thing with dead bunnies. I got to see that. Um, and that was kind of the linchpin of I don't want to be associated or have anything to do with the fine art scene <laughs> none of it clicked none of it made none of it sparked joy i totally thought you were yeah. going in a different direction with that i thought you were going to say something else that's when i knew i wanted to be an artist when I no saw the no bunnies. oh no the dead bunnies were like no that's yeah not, that's not for me <laughs> yeah, i'm more the working artist not the yeah. fine artist kind of thing right? and again like i never really got i never went to like fine art galleries i didn't get to right you know, small town right i didn't know what that world looked like and i got a glimpse there and i'm like i don't want anything to do with that it's good that you got that that yeah. scene though you got to see both of them together right so that's awesome yeah which ties ties into what happened next with um when i got into grade 12 and started applying for colleges i applied for u of m's fine arts and graph design um and i really really wanted the graph design i i all my friends were going to u of m and so part of me thought that might be a good route um but graph design had really hooked me but the graph design program is tricky to get into it's um they accept portfolio submissions. So you get this little kit and it says you have to design like this many pieces of art and do this and do that. Like it's it's a, a workload mm -hmm. just to apply. Yeah. And I think they accept like 200 applications and from there they interview 100 kids and from there 50 get in. And they even offer a uh, like a portfolio prep course for like you can go during the summer and they will teach you what they're looking for and what they want. But this was in the city. So I had no opportunity to take this portfolio prep class. Yeah. Um, and so my mom actually helped me out quite a bit. She, um, she kind of helped make everything look a little more professional. Like you have to mount all your pieces of art on, on Mayfair and, um, you had to, yeah, you had to make it a lot more presentable. And my, my plan was originally just, you know, shove all the pieces of paper in an envelope and, and send it off. But we, she really helped put the portfolio together in a professional manner. So I, I give my mom a lot of credit for getting me into that program because mm -hmm. I think her help with that portfolio prep really 
got me in. Shout out to Mama Curry. You shout out to Tracy Curry. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, I didn't know her first name. Hi, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I got into graphic design, which was, uh, which was really great. And in my mind, I, I thought this was going to be a little more illustration based and the graph design, um, portion of it kind of, it, it took a while to click. I wasn't, I wasn't the best graph designer in the beginning. I just wanted to draw. I wanted to draw Spider-Man and I wanted to. Yeah. I will say that as somebody who teaches into this program, I teach communications course mm-hmm. and I've, for more than 10 years now. Um, that's like most of the students who right. come into it. They all come in wanting to draw. Yeah. And you, I mean, it's great to be, if you can find that. It's very difficult though, right? As you learn, it's it's like a very small portion of, of the jobs out there yeah. are illustration jobs. So when did you kind of buy into the whole graphic design thing and start It wasn't until like the end of the second year oh, wow. where I felt like I wasn't like uh, drowning in the workload. And uh, like, you know, it's, it's a very... I think they have this, this program is two years with an optional third. Mm-hmm. You can take almost the same, the same kind of thing at like U of M over like five years with an optional six kind of thing. So it's condensed, right? So they throw a lot of things at you and you need to, yeah, really learn some time management and really get a, a work ethic quick or you're not going to last. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's what that first year was like, just like I never had to work that hard in high school and I'd never wanted anything so badly in high school as well. So now I had like, I, I wanted to be here. I wanted to do this. I wanted to succeed. It wasn't just to do what I need to do to pass the course. It was, I want to get good at this. So um, a lot of wonky sleep hours and um, lost lost sleep in those first oh, two sure. years. Yeah. Like, um, but when you're doing this, are you still thinking about... Like now you're thinking in terms of I'm going to be a graphic designer. I'm going to work as a designer at a firm and do stuff like the kind of work you're doing in the program is, is kind of showing you what you want to do. Or are you still thinking of doing wanting to do illustration as a as an artist? I think I, I don't know if I was thinking that far ahead. OK, I yeah, like I, I don't know if I wanted to really do a whole lot of graphic design in that first year or two. By the second year, then, yeah, I was starting to really enjoy logos. I was starting to get into um, like I thought poster design would be really cool. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And, and I was also starting to just from what I was, was hearing from people in the course that like illustration wasn't a way to make money, wasn't a way to do things. And I was exposed to people who are way better at illustration than me, like saying these same kind of things. Like it's good to know how to draw, but like, you know, you're not going to make money unless you know how to make websites. So we need to learn how to make websites. So I think that kind of, um, made me focus more on the design and and get better at that and get more interested in that, which ultimately really helps your illustration. But yeah, it was a lot of of grumblings of like, you know, graph design, websites, that's where you're going to make money. Illustration. Were you you still drawing for fun? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was always drawing for fun. And there is like a ton of drawing in the program, like in the second year, first and second year, there's still a lot of life drawing and, uh, uh, drawing projects in the third year, you're you're able to bring your drawings more into your projects. But illustration is a huge part of the program. Um, it was just yeah, the more the the grumblings about how like what you're going to do after the course and how you're going to make your living and how you're going to make money. Um, illustration was kind of um, poo pooed upon, and I think it also comes down to like. Graph designers don't like fine artists and fine artists don't like graph. You know, is that <laughs> yeah, whole like rivalry? Yeah, I guess so. Eh? So 
I think there's a little bit of that too. Okay. Um, Interesting. And, yeah. Um, so, so you're in the program mm-hmm. and you you go through the program all three years. And what I've noticed about this program, and, and this is true of a lot of Red River College Polytechnic. I always forget that last part, but it's, right. it's part of the name now. Okay. Uh, a, a, a lot of the programs are have a very direct feed into the industry. Like you yeah. pretty much, you have you have a work placement. You'll go for two weeks. You work in somewhere. You do it twice or two work placements or just one? Uh, t- there was a couple. In, in second year, there's two. Two. I think yeah. there's two. Okay. Yeah. So you do that, and so you make connections. And where do you go to work after graduation? Yeah. So in the second year, the first place I went to, I, I forget the name, but it was a graph design studio, and they had a little video game studio in the same office. And I had to bust like an hour and a half there. And then an hour and a half back every day, it was like the other end of the city. I was staying in like <laughs> St. James and they were like north, like at the end of Main Street. It was, oh my God. it was, yeah, it was a really rough two weeks, but the work was fun. Mm-hmm. They had me doing flash intros because that used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really liked flash animation and this was starting to make me think like video games might be a thing. And in the same studio as this um, graph design studio, they had a little video game studio and there was a concept artist there that was just drawing all day. And he was drawing um, assets for uh, some kind of medieval fighting game thing they were building. And so that kind of clicked like, oh my God, like video games are a thing in Winnipeg. Like this is something that can maybe happen. Um, So that was kind of, I think, where me being a something to do with video games really, like I always wanted to work in video games, but that was my first like exposure that, it was a thing in the city. Yeah, you didn't know it was possible until I didn't then. know it was possible, yeah. yeah. But this guy is drawing all day for his living, and he has the same. he's working in the same office that I am. Um, so that was really, really exciting. And then my next mentorship was with ViewSource Media, which was a, a tinier um, design studio. I think there was only three of us, like two or three wow, of us. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, so quite small. Um, and I really got along with the guys really well. They were a younger company. Um, they were just, you know, they were hungry. They wanted to, uh, you know, get big clients and, and do all the things. And so I really enjoyed working with those guys. So in third year, you're asked to um, kind of do a mentorship with a, 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 a design firm. And so I ended up working with them again. And then they hired me right out of college. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. basically, you know, got three or four works three or four weeks of work out of me and realized we worked well together and I know what I'm doing. So it was a no brainer that, and that happens quite often with right? replacements because it's a perfect audition period. Exactly. Like you, you can just try the person yeah. out and see uh, risk free. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, Hey, you can sign the dotted line and, and buy the Justin Curry you always wanted. Which is the harponeer I'm to sleep with tonight. Oh, he ain't among them. He's what you might call a dark complexion chap. He'll be along as soon as he finishes selling his head. Is what? Selling his head. And so you get a good industry job and yeah. you're working, you're doing the fun things you want to do. Yeah. Are you still looking at like, like when does the um, seed of an idea to start selling your work start coming to you? Okay, yeah. So I think in 2007, 2008, I'm working full-time as a designer. I'm still drawing on the side quite a bit, but it's not really going anywhere i'm trying to like get comments on my images online where are you so are you posting is this um uh deviant, deviant art. Art. yeah, yeah this is deviant. back in the deviant art yep. days okay. but illustration really wasn't getting me anywhere doing anything for me 
I was always still drawing, but there was no um, there was no plan with it. There was no roots available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was always just kind of a, a hobby that I was keeping up. And I was trying to like get better at it on the computer. But um, again, and I, I, I was working with people who, you know, same kind of thing. Like you can't really make money with illustration. And the one guy I worked with, he was he's this old curmudgeon-y guy. He was he's a fun character. Um, but he would always talk to me about he had like a uh, his sister was like a fine artist and she would make you know fifteen thousand dollars a year and it's not really much of a career choice. But yeah, so again, it was kind of like illustration was not ever sold to me as a good good way to spend my time. Um, and then in 2008, I'd always been curious about Comic-Cons, but I always kind of was scared to go on my own, and I didn't have any friends that were nerdy enough to go with, right? It was kind of this, they were still kind of underground, and um, they were not very mainstream at all. I didn't even know how to find out about them. Um, but I found the there was one on Pemina, in a hotel, in a basement, and I went by myself, almost like a secret mission. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go to this little Comic-Con. So, and you were living in the city? Or, or, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm living at the city full yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. At this point. Yeah. So you go in. Um, I go in, and it's it's very small and dark, and there's a couple people selling artwork, and there's a, a couple, like, nerdy. There was probably only, like, 20 people, like, 20 vendors in okay. there. Um um, but yeah, sure it, it was, was a comic con and it was, kind of show? it was very underwhelming, yeah, but okay. I'm like, okay, but like this, like people are selling artwork here. Like okay. this, this is a thing. So I, I didn't really act on the idea then, but then the following year C4 like was kind of announced at the convention center for the first time. So this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. We're like bringing in celebrities. We're taking over the entire convention center. So there was this air of excitement around it. And again, I really wanted to participate, but I didn't really want to do it on my own, and I didn't know anybody else to like go with. And James Gillespie, who we've had on the podcast before, um, actually reached out to me and said, like, I was interested in maybe tabling there. Would you share a table with me? Because I don't know what I'm doing there either. And so James Gillespie and I, we, I had just got my very first car. We filled it up with all our little sketches. We just had notebooks and we had a couple like drawings that were like on their own pieces of paper. No tablecloths, no anything else. We didn't know what we were doing. And we go to the convention center and driving downtown is still stressful for me at this point. So it's this big adventure downtown. Okay, we have to park underground of this thing, like figuring that out. We finally get there, and then it's like, well, what do we do now? It's this massive complex. I don't know where anything is. And so we see a bunch of other artists carrying boxes over to this little elevator in the corner. So we just follow them over, and there's a lineup for this passenger elevator. And we, we talk to people in line. And it turns out that you can't just, you can't walk up to the convention floor. You have to take the elevator up there, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we're waiting our turn to take the the one elevator up there. Very small elevator, by the way. Tiny. Yeah, that's coming up. So (laughs) it's finally our turn to get in there. And James and I get in there with about four other people. We're all carrying huge boxes of stuff. Um, And the one woman had like her, her small kid with her. And the elevator goes up and then stops. Oh, no. And so for the next two and a half hours, we sat in the elevator and I was closest to the phone. So it was my job to keep picking up the phone and seeing where the elevator guy was 
to save us. Right. Um, so the first two and a half hours, my first convention was stuck in an elevator, like elbow to elbow with a bunch of other sweaty nerds. Oh my God. That would um, be terrifying. It, and the poor kid, like I felt really bad for this kid. Like they were doing their best, but they weren't having a good time either. And no yeah. kidding. Eh? Um, so that was, that was the kind of the start to this adventure. Um, but yeah, we finally, we got out, um, the show had started, but again, this is, this is early days, the Friday of like the 2000, I don't even think, I think it was 2009 two, was the first year. This is the first year. Two, there. 2008. Was it 2008? It was sure? the first okay. year. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was nine. Um, right. I, I don't even think it was three days. It might've just been two days. Might've been. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, it wasn't, we didn't miss too much and okay. we didn't have much to set up. So we just went and plopped our stuff down and my family came in from the country to come like support so like yeah so they came in the one day and so there's all these pictures and my my parents are uh they do video and photography like professionally so they took lots of pictures and lots of video and uh yeah james and i we were offering commissions so we could do little drawings for you we had a couple little pieces of paper on the the table that you could buy um, and I think I had like one or two, maybe three prints of actual like digital paintings on the table. And the next two days were like the most exciting of my artistic career because people were paying for my drawings and they wanted to like know if I had more and I sold out of a couple of things. I don't think I sold out of any prints, but... I made $200 by the end of the weekend wow. and I was over the goddamn moon because like this profit after you pay for your table, uh, the table I think was $40 oh. split. Okay. That's so pretty think, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it was okay. cheap tables back then. Yeah, yeah. So I made a profit and nice. this was the first time I'd like really made money with my artwork. So, um, it became an obsession of, okay, this is, I want to do better next year. So next year, um, I wanted to get my own table and I wanted to have more prints. People seem to like these digital prints. So that's all I did. That's all I like obsessed about or like over the next year was the next October convention. He now swims the waters of good hope and all the Indian Ocean lies before him. Next month, he cruises the Bengal Bay, March, the Sulu Sea, running eastward to the gateway of the Pacific. I think it started to definitely show in my um, my graph design job that suddenly I had something else that I was a little more focused on than my graph design work um, because I started to play around with vector illustration in the vector files of the the corporate logos that I was supposed to be making. So um, I was supposed to be I did the bridges um, the the part of the city that's Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah. So I did that logo. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's cool. It was all over the place. That was it's actually still up there. I see it. Oh, all it's the time. still there. Yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's on the gate. Yeah, yeah. It's they printed it in metal and it's stuff. It's still Bridgewater wrong though. I don't know why it's a no guy's e. name. It's weird. Oh, yeah. okay, whatever. And the other thing about that, so we're again, we'd we'd leveled up a couple couple levels as a design firm at this point at ViewSource, but we we're still, I think, only like four guys. And we had landed the Bridgewater contract, which was a really, really big deal because it was a huge branding package and a website and an interactive map and like all these other things. And so we were really, really excited. And so we worked on that for probably like a solid year. And then somebody realized that we weren't supposed to even have a chance to, they weren't supposed to be getting a private 
design firm to work on that. That was supposed to go to a government design firm because it's government a city. Pro- yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had to have everything taken away from us halfway through. Um, so we had to supply like all our, our vector files and all our work files for some hmm. government employee to work on. It was kind of like it got a little serious there for a second. Like you guys need to like give us all the files right now and forget that you saw them kind of thing. Yeah. Well, somebody got pissed off. Yeah, but it's not your fault. No, it wasn't our fault. You're it just was doing what you're paid to do. Come yeah, on. exactly. But somewhere out there in the Bridgewater logo file is also my, like I did a Starscream <laughs> transformer <laughs> yeah. and on a hidden layer in the Bridgewater <laughs> forest logo is, yeah, a Starscream as uh, was my very first like shattered vector painting where I was trying out this style in vector where it was kind of all these shards of transparency and i did that so i could work on it at work and that's so you could easily like exit out of it and still be in the file or, well, or what in illustrator it's this massive canvas like when you think photoshop you kind of choose your canvas size like i'm going to work on it 12 by 18 or eight and a half by 11. in illustrator it's just like this endless canvas mm-hmm. so you can you can work at, on a couple things and it, like as the last step you kind of set your page size mm-hmm. And so what I would do is over in like a couple scrolls away, I'd have a bunch of artwork and then you can press control zero and that snaps you back to like the main artwork that the main page. And so the main page would be the logo. So I'd work on Starscream over here and then I hear the boss coming over. I hit control zero and it snaps me back to the logo. And right, there's no changing windows. There's no anything. So that kind of became a bit of a um, habit of mine. I'd be working on like the Castle Mortgage logo and also be working on an alien queen over on the side. Mm-hmm. So some government employee also has my native files and my Starscream print from 2000. I would love somebody to look and see if it was still there. <laughs> I would love if we could find those files and dig them up. See yeah. If that stuff is in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the next the next year at the the Winnipeg Comic Con, I had instead of like one or two prints, I had like five or six, and I made, I I want to say like four, maybe five hundred dollars, kind of thing, like a, a paycheck's worth of money, and I sold out of a print on like the first day, and it like kind of like catalyzed, like oh my god, like I can make paycheck from this are there any more of these so that's when I started looking into going in like and I think this is where I met Gregory Kamichuk as well who had a huge booth and had been going to like Calgary for the horror con and going going all to these other all these other shows so it kind of made me realize like maybe Winnipeg isn't the only place where I can make money at these like maybe I can go to these mm-hmm. like try out these other places and so the first two out-of-town shows that I wanted to try was Calgary and Chicago. Because Chicago is only a, like, it's, it's quite close. It's, it's like actually a pretty, yeah, 16-hour drive from here, so it's not too bad. Uh, so I took a flight. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I took a flight. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> yeah. Flying like a fancy boy. Yeah, so this is like the, like, yeah. It is close. It's like a couple hours. So yeah. Very, very easy to get to. But the, um, like, airports were a little bit different, and customs was a little bit sure. different, too. So in 2000, this is like 2010-ish yeah. kind of thing. I remember like at customs, they're like, why are you going down there? It's like, I'm going to Comic-Con. I'm going to go sell my artwork. And they're like, well, you're not supposed to do that. I'm like, oh, I probably won't make any money. He's like, okay, get out of here, you scamp. <laughs> and like, 
then the next year I said the same thing, like, I'm going to Chicago to sell artwork. And he's like, uh, so can I see your suitcase? And so they opened up my suitcase and it's just full of posters to sell. <laughs> he's like, so you can't be doing this. We're going to let you go, but don't do it again. So that was kind of my first, like, that was my introduction to like, you're not supposed to go to the States with a whole bunch of merchandise in your bag and tell customs about it. You have to go through the proper channels. So, or not tell customs about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, so that was like my first flub with, with that. Okay, um, but what were you doing wrong there? You, do, you, have, you have to get licensing or something or pay fees or whatever. So, yeah, to do that properly with customs, you need to have a, a broker come in uh, and assess everything, and then you have to claim how much you made, and it, it gets pretty, pretty complicated. Um, but the city, the state, like the state of um, like New York or California or whatever, will set you up with, you came to our Comic-Con, tell us what you made, here's what you owe. So you're paying, you're paying taxes in the city you want to go to. But the problem with customs is there's, no, there's nothing really in place for going down and working a day or two. Uh, okay. you can, like the, the closest you can get is a six-month work permit, right, right? which right. Doesn't, doesn't really... Yeah, it doesn't really work. So okay. it's, yeah. Anyway. It's, yeah, a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, but anyway, so at this point, I was starting to do, I did the Winnipeg one. I loved it. I went to Calgary, and I broke $1,000, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm, like, putting all my time and focus into. Um, and around this time at, at view source media, they were starting to kind of switch gears a bit and mm -hmm. they were doing less print media, less design. They were getting into more like website hosting and stuff like that. And they were about to move studios. And so the boss called me in and said, yeah, we need to have a bit of a tough conversation here. Like we're, we're changing things up and we think we need to let you go. And Aww. yeah. And, and one of the, the points he brought up is it seems like, you know, you've, you've, found something else that you're focusing on and I think that's becoming a big focus for you I think he kind of noticed that I was you know taking longer lunch hours to work on my illustration and taking time away from work to like sketch and sketchbooks and stuff like I think it was starting to bleed into my sure not putting as much time and effort into your actual work projects right and by actual work projects we're talking about the pedorthic annual brochure so the foot doctor brochure, this was something that came up every couple of months and it was a night, like everything oh I worked on there, like blew my brain with boringness. So, <laughs> um, on one hand it was really devastating because I, I really did like all the guys. I'm still good friends with all of them. We still like catch up from time to time. Um, but it was pretty devastating to, to have this happen. Um, and so for the next couple of months, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to, I'm going to make new prints. I'm going to sign up for as many comic cons I can. And I'm going to start getting, you know, I'm going to start reaching out to like comic book publishers and like maybe try to like do this full time. And before any of that could really get rolling, I got hired by complex games as a comp as a concept artist. So I think I got let go in, I want to say August and in October, I started working at a video game company as a concept artist. Sleep. That bed is a coffin. And those are winding sheets. I do not sleep, I die. 
my unemployment like time to to really develop and and do things was very very short lived, um, and I got this got this job in October from the video game company because the art director also did Comic Con in October and saw my stuff and we became friends and mm-hmm. so that was like my automatic in. Um, so I jumped basically from one job right to the next. So that's cool that that's what got you the job was your art. So if you hadn't yeah. started going to cons, you wouldn't have gotten that job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's interesting how it all ties together. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So it, it really it really worked out. I think like I had finally got unemployment set up, right? Like you pay unemployment, oh, yeah, you can yeah. get it back. So I'd finally set that up and I immediately had to shut it down again because <laughs> I, I got hired, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, but then I had already signed up for all these shows. So going into the video game company, like the like the interview was like, yes, I'd love to work here. Just so you know, like I've booked like five weekends of the year. So I might need a Friday off and a Monday off here and there mm-hmm. to do all these conventions. Um, and so that just became kind of part of of the work environment at Complex Games that I was... Like I never really took vacation off, but I'd occasionally like have to miss a day or two here or there mm-hmm. for conventions. Yeah. And how long cool. did you go on like that? So I want to say this is around 2000. This is 2011. So I was with Complex Games for a couple of years and um, I was a contract employee. Um, I think we were all contract employees. It was video games are it's it's tough to have like a full staff at yeah, a studio. I bet. Because we, when I started, I think there was 11 guys. And then at one point it went up to 60 guys and then back down to 14. Like it was feast or famine. And there was always like kind of guys would like come and then have to get let go because the project finished up and stuff like that. So it was kind of a, um, like a little bit of an unstable environment. But it was, it was cool because I got to work with Jonas Van Niekerk of Raging Ape was my art director. And he was also kind of on the same path as I was noticing that like Comic-Cons can be a big, like a good source of income. And if we put time into putting together really nice booths and really nice artwork, like it, you know, the paycheck gets better and better from these. So we, like my art director had a really good understanding of what I was doing on the side because he was doing the same thing. Um, So that was really neat to kind of grow alongside like the Raging Ape guys doing the same thing. And then working together was really good as well. And then around 2013, 14, I remember this really pivotal moment of like 2013. It was January and I was kind of doing the math of all the shows I had done this year and what I was making at my job. Like I was just kind of doing my, you know, my accounting. Like here's, here's what I spent to do these conventions. Here's what I brought back in. Good for you, by the way, for doing that. Not a lot of people think to do that when they're starting out, Yeah, I don't think. well, Um, They'll just kind of do it, oh, I'll just put this money in, then hey, look at this, and throw it back into the bank account and just keep doing it and not pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's important, though. Yeah, it's true. And that was me for the longest time, right? Like, I just kind of like, it is what it is, and and don't look at it too closely. And then that winter of 2013, I looked at it closely, and like, I I wasn't doing exact numbers, but I'm kind of like, okay, I made this here, this here, this here, this here. And that number was bigger than my annual salary at the video game comes like okay so I made more at comic-cons and I did it my full-time job what if I did more comic-cons and didn't have a full-time job and so this kind of thought like hovered around my head all of 2013 and nobody had ever told me 
that I could just do my own thing full time. It was always, you know, growing up, call, you you do high school and then you go to secondary education and then you get a job. Yep. And you stick with that job, right? And that was 20, 30 years in a career. Yeah. <laughs> retire. Yeah. That's your life. So at no point had it really occurred to me that like I could start my own company and do my own thing. That was just never an option in my head until I kind of did that math. And so all of 2013, that was starting to kind of like circle around of like, okay, if I did this, what would I have to do, you know, like uh, for like health insurance and I have to get like, you know, register a website, register GST with the, the government and like. I was starting to kind of figure all those things out. I bought a couple like entrepreneurship books and stuff like that um, and started to kind of to make that plan. And then in 2014, the company was doing another big shuffle. We had just finished. We'd done like the Lost Girl was a, a TV show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Familiar. So we did the Lost Girl um, iOS game and it was kind of like a hide and seek game. It was like a big painting of the bar from the show and I would hide like all the, you know, find the, the candlestick and find the apple and find this and find that. And so I was doing that and that project was coming to a close and all of our contracts were coming up as well. And so the boss handed me basically a contract saying like, sign this to be, you know, to sign on for the next year, I think kind of thing. And this was around the time that I was kind of, I was burning out a bit because I was working, I was doing all my Comic-Con stuff, I was really focusing on my my own stuff, I was working a full-time job, and I was trying to take on illustration freelance as much as I could to kind of, you know, just get out there more. Mm -hmm. And there was one project that I was asked to work on by the On Spec magazine. It's a, a Canadian writing magazine, and they they, release like this annual book with a bunch of short stories in it. It's a really cool uh, book. If you're into writing, check out On Spec. And I had done a cover for them and it worked really well together. And then they asked me to work on a second cover and it was in the middle of, I was working on too many things. I had too many side projects and this really cool cover illustration that they'd asked me to do it went on, went on. I wasn't kind of meeting deadlines, and they finally said, "We we can't we can't wait on you anymore for this. So we're gonna have to cancel this contract with you, and go elsewhere." And that was kind of the final nail in the coffin of why am I working a full time job that isn't fulfilling as the stuff I'm doing on the side, and now I'm losing, like I'm letting people down because I'm trying to do too many things. And so, yeah, I, uh, I, I put in my, I don't think I put in two weeks. I think I put in like a month's notice, like at the end of March, I'm done. I will take the month and transition everything out because all my files had to be made ready for other people to deal with. Um, and so I got to leave on really good terms with the video game company. And then shortly after that, there was a big kachunk again of mm. people getting let go. So there was always that kind of, lingering doubt in my mind like would I have been fired at that point anyways you got out at the right time <laughs> I might have got out there yeah. on time yeah. and I think it was actually um my boss at the time was maybe a bit relieved because that was one less person he had to worry about keeping on or letting go again it's just it's such a volatile industry um but yeah so in 2014 in May I started chasing artwork as a company I went down to the government building downtown and registered my my company name and I rented space um, on 240 McDermott right across the street from where we are now 
because those two months that I was unemployed and working from home full time, I was very, very productive, but it was also a very unhealthy time of my life because I would wake up and my desk was right beside my desk and I would paint for hours and hours and hours and then just go straight back to bed and rinse and repeat. Mm. And I didn't see the light of day enough and didn't get out of the house really at all. So um, my my promise to myself is if I ever started my own company, I'd have to like rent a space away from home to have that separation of work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so 2014, I started my own company in uh, this small little studio space in on on McDermott and it was uh ACI which I think now is Creative Manitoba and they might have rebranded again but they had this kind of um this workplace program that they were starting up where they had a bunch of cubicles and a couple of offices and they were trying to entice people like me to rent space and kind of work together so there was all these people working on different projects um of all kinds of, of walks of life. And it was, it was a great idea on paper. Nobody else was ever in there except for me. I basically, I had my own little office and I was in there a lot and I never saw any of the cubicles really used to any real degree. Well, it's ahead of its time. Cause that's pretty common now. Yes, There's a lot yeah, of, yeah. of that kind of stuff happening, yeah. but yeah, this is 20 years ago or not quite 20 years ago, but it's still like, it's not, yeah, I, I can mention it's, it's a tough sell. Yeah. Right now, it's I'm sure it's easier. They were also they were charging a little too much. Once oh. I started to kind of look into other options, I realized okay, they're like they're asking a lot, and if this is like a government funded like um, program, like why aren't why aren't they trying to help us out more? All visible objects are but as pasteboard masks. Some inscrutable yet reasoning thing puts forth the molding of their features. The white whale tasks me. He heaps me. That lasted about a year and a half, two years I was there, but I I really filled up my plate with conventions. This is where we're starting to get into like 20 to 25 events a year. Mm-hmm. Um, my inventory is growing. I had printed Cassie and Tonk was my first book. Um, I was getting into art books as well, and my, my paper stock was just starting to become a little unwieldy. And I'm in like a you know, 300 square foot, like little office, um, probably even smaller than that. Um, so I knew I wanted to, I need to expand or I need to start renting storage space. And I didn't really want to get into that. Um, and so this was around the time that Gregory Kamichuk and I had started to run into each other more and more and more. And he was on the short list of people that I knew were, were kind of doing this at a professional level, right? They weren't just you know, throwing stuff on a table at Comic Cons. They were actively doing illustration projects on the side and building a brand for themselves and, and just seemed to be, you know, it wasn't a hobby for him anymore. It was Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's it's there's a it's a small number of people that even today, like it's it's hard to to find people who, you know, really want to take this all the way. So I went to uh, a book launch of his. I even, I forget what the book launch was, but at the book launch, I'm, I'm sitting in the crowd with all the people, and um, he said, at the end of this, we're all going to um, the round table. If you want to come, come. And I brought my portfolio because I wanted to pitch these guys and um, just kind of like see if, 
I just I wanted like other professional artists to look at my work and see if see if these like these big shots like Gregor Kamichuk thought like <laughs> I was on the right track. Sorry, I shouldn't have laughed at that. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was uh, yeah like he he just seemed to know what he was doing and I was still kind of starting out. Um, and so I went to the round table afterwards and we're all hanging out and I was there with Mike Sanders and, and Gregory Kamichuk and nobody else really showed up. And so I kind of pitched him like, Hey, I'm thinking about moving into a bigger studio. I, I, I need more room. He at the time had studio space on, um, Adelaide. And so I knew he had like a studio space as well. That was, he was sharing with another friends like I don't know if you're like this would work at all but I'm looking at getting a studio space and like you're one of the people that you know I think we'd work well together and I can't it doesn't make sense for me to get up by myself like what do you think and then he kind of paused and like he had just been talking with his wife Tara about wanting to maybe take a couple years off teaching and get into this full time so I think I just kind of like hit the lottery of timing, finding another artist who was just kind of at that point in his career and personal life where he wanted to kind of do this full time as well. Um, so we, yeah, we, we got this space where we are now, which is a thousand square feet. So much, much bigger and immediately filled it up with all our inventory. Um, and this is where like, I'm getting into like 35 shows a year and going to Australia and the UK and all over the States. And it's starting to, yeah, it's, it's a lot of travel and a lot of conventions. And I found my people, I found all these other people that we were kind of having the same conversations of like, why are we taking on freelance? Why are we working for other people? These conventions are like a huge source of income and people want the things that we do. They don't want, they don't, yeah, they're not necessarily wanting when people want to hire us to do their project, it's not quite as profitable as us just kind of doing our own thing. Mm -hmm. So that's, I, I got to meet people all over the world and we started having kind of that same conversation. Like, why are we working for other people? Why are we taking on freelance? And um, so over the next couple of years, it kind of came less and less about finding those big clients and finding those big projects and more and more about what do you want to do as an artist? Because now you have this distribution method. You have this way to get it out there. And you built an audience. Yeah, yeah, and started to build an audience. People, you know, you go to the same Chicago show like year after year after year by like year three, four, five, people start to like recognize you and remember you and that's starting to happen more and more. And then when you miss a year, you get all these messages like, hey, where were you this year? Uh -huh. Like we were looking for you. You were trying uh -huh. to find your booth. Um so it all kind of started to come together that I was doing, I was doing the thing that people said, when well, I don't know if it really was a job 10 years ago, but like now I'm illustrating exactly what I want full time. I have a way to make a living off it. I have a whole bunch of, I have an audience built up that is ready for it. So now I'm, it's like the, the burden of choice. I can kind of work on what I want and I know there's a good like a 99% chance I can make money on it because I don't, I don't have to pay any other people. I don't have to like, you know, spread the profit out. I can put in the money to have it made. I, I can bring it to a bunch of conventions. And even if it flops, my other stuff will perform well enough that it's not 
lost you know you've got, a, you've got kind of a safety net there with all your other material yeah. but you've got like spark chasers coming up so that's your new project you're working on are we talking yeah, we can talk about it right yeah, yeah absolutely we yeah we talked about it um so you look for a second you're like what's going on no um so so you you now kind of focusing on more writing and and uh and storytelling as, as opposed to just prints and that kind of thing yeah so now i'm at the point in my career and i think everybody kind of starts out out this way mm-hmm. that i want to make my lord of the rings i want to make my <laughs> star wars i want to do this big epic journey with you know a bunch of heroes and a bunch of villains and a convoluted plot and at the end you know there is a you know a a world apocalyptic event they have to like you know everybody wants to make that story yep. but it you know not many people are ready to make that their first book or their second book and here I am book 13 I'm finally ready to make that big epic um it's a lot of work though. So this book is, I, I'm doing the script, I'm doing the writing, I'm doing the art, I'm doing the page layout, I'm doing the design. So these are all skills that I kind of got along the way, you know, like I, I can do the lettering and design because I was a graphic designer. Um, I've been kind of like writing here and there and I've worked with enough writers and done enough writing that I feel confident enough that I can accomplish that. I've made enough books that 250 pages isn't as daunting as it once was. Um, but so the problem is now like it's it's a long project that's gonna take a, a long, long time, a huge amount of work. Um, so I have to kind of, I won't be able to make as many posters this year. I won't be able to do quite as many conventions, but I'm at the point where I have such a vast back catalog and so many other books and so many other projects that I can start to bring back all those, you know, the prints from 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, bring those back, start bringing those to shows and they're kind of new and exciting again. And I can kind of lean on past work while I hide away and make this new big project. So that's, that's the only thing that's been kind of weighing on my mind is every convention that comes up, I want to have something new. I want to have new stuff this year. And I won't be able to have very much new stuff this year because this book project is so all-encompassing. Um, but, you know, like, it's it's really neat to have, like, that big of a purpose with a project. Like, mm-hmm. to know this is what you need to put hundreds of hours of work into. And it's all going to hopefully turn out. And I, I know that once it's done, I have a place to take it. And it... I. I'm pretty sure I'm going to make my money back on it. You know, yeah, like yeah. not to you've have built that, that up. Yes. yes. You've built that surety. So I built all that up. So that's, that's like where I am that I can take this kind of big, long break to work on. I can disappear for a while and make something really big and epic. And it doesn't, uh, you know, derail my career. It doesn't derail my income. It's I'm at the position where I, I can afford and I have the privilege to put hundreds of hours into a project. And that feels really lucky. And, Sometimes it feels selfish and sometimes I'm like, should I just be like stopping and making fan art of like stuff I like that people are going to be expecting? But I think it's the time in my life where I need to, yeah, take a year or two and just work on this really big project. So that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sounds great. I think it's going to, uh, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be a great project when it's finished. Um, and of course you still have all your other work that you can, that people can see on online and that kind of stuff. You've got your back catalog available on your website. Uh, well, there you have it. Great origin story, Justin. <laughs> you didn't get radioactive powers, though. Where does the spider come in? No, I'm just joking. Uh, 
No, that's excellent. I'm gl- I was. Yeah. I didn't. There's a lot in there that I didn't know. I knew some of that I'd heard before, but yeah, quite a bit of that was new. Yeah, very cool. And I don't. Yeah, I think usually at this point in the interview, it's like, what's next? Like, where do you want to go next? Yeah. And I think like, and Gregor would probably say along the same things. Um, I've noticed since kind of getting into like being the chasing artwork company and doing my own thing and realize doing my own thing is is sustainable and and people are are wanting it. I don't look forward very much anymore because I don't I don't need like when you make that five year plan, it's usually where do I want to be in five years and I, like I'm exactly where I want to be doing exactly where I want to do and I'm I I always kind of you know once in a while pause and like think about how lucky I am to be in that position. Um, Did you catch the artwork, Justin? Yeah, you can't. You, it? No, yeah, you, you can't catch it. <laughs> That's about it. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm Dan Vadabonker, encouraging all of you to join the fight and make comics. Mm-hmm.